Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. the last couple weeks, I had epiphany. I'm a big fan of getting clear uh, and learning things. Um, And I had an epiphany that um, I can get stuck giving my energy to things that really don't matter. And here's how it works. Uh, During the pandemic, we survived, right? And in survival, there were some things that were really hard, and there were some beautiful things. Like, we went on family walks uh, about two or three times a day. And we got a brand new puppy like two weeks before shutdown. So this dog has only known what it's like to have five people with him at all times, right? He lives in a beautiful, beautiful world. Um, And man, we do love Chance, right? So um, I'm just trying not to talk about Chancey. Oh, but like we have a 15-year-old now, almost 16-year-old, and he doesn't like volunteer to go on walks with us. But when you have no other options, it's like, hey, yeah, you're not going to be playing PlayStation where you're going to come with us. And we learned a lot about... We had some stolen time with each other. Uh, we, um, later on in the pandemic, we started hanging out with just like our neighbors and a couple friends, and we were, we, <laughs> did anyone else do this? Like, we'd go into their garage, I, better, I don't wanna spill, we'd go in their garage and we'd have like a bleach spray with us, and so we'd go up and spray it, touch the handle, and spray it, and then shut it, right? And then we'd, we'd be in their garage, and then we evolved outside, and we sat in the driveway, and we just um, chased the sun, because it was so cold. Uh, but we wanted to be with people, so we'd be like in like our winter jackets outside, and then with the sun, we'd keep moving, and we found ourselves in the middle of the road. Um, but it, no one was driving, so it didn't matter. And we ended up in the ditch at one point, because when you were desperate to have some sort of human connection, and you still want to be you, you know, somewhat safe, you can do some crazy stuff. But I had this idea of when we got back to normal, what it was going to be like. And in my head, like, hey, this is really good, but we're back to like... Um, like with people and with church in my head it was gonna be like we're going to rock all day party every night that's in my head right i'm extrovert i like big parties i'm like um my my philosophy is if i have um five people over why not have 50 people over right because if i have to cook one chicken i can cook 15 chickens and it's not really hard and this creates a lot of beautiful things in my marriage with my wife so um but in my mind it's like we're it's going to be amazing all the time, and there's going to be all these events and sports, and it's going to be just like this constant um, presence of fun, right? That's uh, kind of like I'm a three in the Enneagram, but I'm also like a, I'm a 37 on the Enneagram is how I identify myself. And, and so um, when we got back to normal, instead of it being like, uh, it was more like, oh, your job goes back to so you have to work a lot more than you used to in a pandemic. And then your kids want to party at night because they have social life students. So you have to drive them everywhere. That's really what it came to, all right? More than, more than party all night. And what, what happened in that I had these um, ideas or these expectations, and they're not rational. I'm aware of that now. But when you have this idea of this is what life is going to be like, and this is what um, friendship and work and um, experience experiences and they're valid there's still grief or disappointment or confusion or hurt 
And what I realized was, is that I'd be like, I wonder why this is happening. Why am I not rocking all day and partying all night, right? I could put my energy just on responding to my disappointment over and over and over. And I call that getting lost in the weeds. And instead of like looking at all the things I'm frustrated or hurt or disappointed or I'm confused, instead of putting the energy on, well, how do I move forward? It's like, oh, why don't I just keep talking about this? complaining about this. Let me keep, oh me, oh my, over and over and over again. And after reading that, um, that prayer of like, you can, you can love and maybe no one receives it, love anyways. You can create, even though someone might rip it down, um, uh, create anyways. It exposed that system of like, oh, like I am giving a lot of energy to the things that I don't have or the things that are frustrating me or the things that are disappointing, which I think is healthy to a point. Right? We have a saying, Nikki and I do, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, right? We have this, um, this saying, like, I got to take the BMW out, right? And BMW is um, uh, something, moan, and whine, right? Think of a word that might start with a B, that, right? And so that's like, when we need to complain, we're like, I got to take the BMW out, and I'm only taking it for one spin. I realize I took that BMW out, right, for like a couple 13, 14 laps around and around. And I don't like giving that energy to that but it's so easy, right? Think about this, let's use some common examples to get off of myself, right? How many times have you, well, let's say other people, right? How many times have you heard other people complain about their bodies? Like their knee hurts or their back hurts or like my eyes or uh, like I wish I could run a marathon, I wish I could do these things and it's easy to see other people and blame them or just say, oh yeah, I, I can't believe and they have all these excuses why you can't do it, right? And that's normal, but instead of putting the energy on that into, well, then what can I do? How do I love my body? How do I, like, become content with where my body What the scale says, how do I find this beauty? It's easier to stay here, right? Maybe at work. It's easy to uh, take the BMW out about your job, right? Maybe you and, like, three other employees, you can sit around and complain about the boss, right? And like, let's stick it to the man. And, and the same issues come up over and over. And really, you, know, you just gossip or maybe friends. And you have this similar complaint that just recycles over and over between you and your friends about the other friend. Why does that friend do that? I don't know. And then you talk to the other friend. And you're like, why does that friend do that? Oh, I don't know. And you can give that energy over and over and over again. And doesn't evolve into anything more because there's something gratifying. There's something that's normalized. There's something that even is celebrated in that circle, in those weeds, where we feel like we're accepted. We feel like um, that we're even somewhat normal. But when you live there, right, and it's easy to live there, you really are missing out because we only get one shot at this life. And so my message today is called, we're in a series called Reimagining. And the idea is reimagining you. And we can go like a hundred. I want to focus on this: is what is it in life that you really want? Like, what do you want to give your energy to? And there's this this whole concept that Jesus talks about, and actually, like in so many different sacred um, traditions and faith traditions and writings, they all say very similar things, right? What the American Dream says is, hey, I want all the benefits of work without having to do any of the work, right? I'm a fan of that. If that could be possible, I, I, I will take that. It's like, I want all the benefit of, of, of friendships without me having to do anything. I just want to show up, and everything's ready, and everyone loves me, and it's intimate, and everyone's vulnerable, but I don't have to be, but I get all the benefits from it. 
what the scriptures say, what, what Jesus says, is that we are to love our neighbor in the way we love ourselves, right? That implies that I have to be aware of what kind of love do I want. It implies I have to be somewhat in touch with what does love look like for me? Because if you want a relationship where people um, roll their eyes when you walk in the room, right? If you want to be tolerated, if you want to be um, um, just kind of set aside, if you just want to be asked a couple little questions and then ignored, well, you'll get that if that's how you treat other people. Does that make sense? Like Abraham, when God um, has sets up this covenant with Abraham, he says, you're going to be a blessing. You're going to be a light to all these other countries. You're going to give the best of yourself, which is different. It's founded and it's grounded in something that they're willing to give. We can go to Philippians 2. When Paul talks about Philippians 2, he talks about Jesus um, descending from heaven, uh, taking on this low, um, this low servant, this low position, in order to give and to serve so that we can ascend with the Christ as well. It's based on Giving, when, let's go to Ephesians 5, uh, 20, yeah, yeah, 20, where um, Paul's talking about what does it look like they have a healthy friendship or relationship, um, and what does it look like they have a healthy community? He says, out of reverence for Christ, serve one another. Like, <laughs> Jesus says, no greater light, no greater act of love than one who gives his life for their friends. Again and again, it's all about what are you willing to give? What are you willing to be? If there's something that you want, if there's something that you, you want to experience, there's this fundamental principle of generosity, of you being that love, of you engaging, you enacting, you doing the work in that space. So I want to ask you, what is it that you want? When you think about your life and you think of, uh, like, when you were younger, right, and you're, you're 30-something, right? You're 22, yes. <laughs> I'm a professional athlete as well, yes. Um, uh, when you thought about being in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s or 60s or 70s, and the life that you're living, is it, is it what you hope for? Does it, the way that you spend your energy, is it... <laughs> some of you are going yes, and some of you are going no, right? right? Is your heart go pitter-pat, pitter-pat when you think about your life? We get one shot at this. And what I've realized is that it is really easy to live in the weeds. It is really easy to tolerate life because we feel like, I don't know if I can do it. What are my options? So I want to talk about like four different ways that we can move and give our energy to the best. First one is this, of reimagining yourself. If we want to do this, you have to have an idea of how you think about God. Like we are at a church, so we're going to talk about God. When I say the word God, what pictures come to mind? What feelings come up? Like, what ideas, what, what videos, what movie scenes pop in? What words come? Is it something beautiful? Is the word pleasure associated to it? Is something free, or is it dark? Is it In relation to God, that really matters. Of how you come into relationship with God, how you come into knowledge with God, of how you come into, like, whatever you view right standing, what does that look like? Because how you think about God, or theology, really, really does matter because it's going to inspire you. It's going to drive you. It's going to set up of how much energy or what you're willing to do to engage with that God. And right now, there's probably, what, 40, 50 of us in here, and then th those who are, who are watching, we're all going to have different ideas of what God is because we have our own lived experiences. We have our own histories. We have our own trauma, right? We have all our own education. All of that colors and shapes how we view God. Right? And it should look different. That's the beautiful thing about God. But if we were going to go like, into large buckets, into like this, um, 
like this meta way of, of viewing God, there's some, maybe some common ways, and some of the ways that were handed down to me. And this is one of the, um, one of the theological concepts that I think is one of the most damaging things, one of the most damaging things that we don't always think about. We kind of just like, oh, yeah, totally. And that is this idea of in the Garden of Eden. If you're unfamiliar with in, in Genesis, um, God creates all these beautiful things. He creates woman. He creates man. And he says that it's good. And then, right, the humans decide, hey, I'm going to eat this apple. Eat this apple from the, the tree of good and evil, right? And they eat it, and all of a sudden, depending on how you interpret it, right, all of a sudden, they are now cursed. There's this God that either cursed them or allowed this curse. Now, let me put a pause on this. I was supposed to preface this, right? I take the Bible incredibly, incredibly seriously. I don't take everything in the Bible literally. I have friends that do, and it works for them, and I'm totally fine with that. Like, to me, as long as we end up at a place of love, we end up at a place of inclusion, we end up at a place of showing up as the best of ourselves, if we get there in different ways, clearly we all <laughs> get there in different ways. For me, the story of the Garden of Eden is this, it's a story actually that's told in many different cultures and many different faith traditions that are very, very similar. And we have to, like for me, I have to ask, what do the Hebrew authors, the Hebrew writers, what are they trying to portray? What are they inviting us to see about who God is and who we are? What was handed down to me is that this God either cursed or allowed this curse, and then forever, for all eternity, through from uh, a woman having a kid, there's going to be something called original sin. And it's passed down from person to person to person to person to person. And nowhere in the Old Testament does it talk about this, but it's like two or three times in the New Testament. And so people have formulated this theological concept of that at the core of who we are, in our DNA, in our cells, in our atoms, in our electrons, in quantum physics, at the, 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 the smallest part, there is darkness, there's curse, and there's sin. And a lot of people, and I'm a nerd, so I think about this stuff all the time, right? A lot of people are like, yeah, 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 totally, right? It's like, I'm a wretched sinner in need of a savior. That's like a very common Twitter bio that I see online. But let's just play this out, because I think theology, what you believe, matters. And this, I'm going to wrap this into the point of reimagining yourself. Is when you hold a baby, right? When I held my babies for the first time, never once, even to this day, well, I don't know about that. I mean, you better, right? Never did I look at a baby, and I said, wow, look at this sinner. Look at this little sinner. I can't believe it. Yeah, you're a sinner. You, right there, right? And what do you think of when you hold a baby? For me, I see beauty. I see hope. I see flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. I, I see hope. I think of, with my kids holding them, I thought about all these adventures that we're going to have. Oh, oh man. <clears throat> All these beautiful things that we get to experience in the same space, in the same relationship, in this love. And they're going to go do good and beautiful things, and hopefully they return my phone calls, right? That, that's that's <laughs> my mom, right? That's what, that's what, I, that's what I, I think of. Never once did I say, wow, they are sinful little people, and I can't wait till they figure out who Jesus is so his blood can make them not sinners anymore, right? Now, I do believe in sin. Sin is missing the mark. And, but here's why it's so dangerous, and talk about reimagining you. When we think about original sin, what we are saying is, from the beginning, at the core of who I am, I'm cursed, I'm wretched, I'm evil, I'm less than, and I need something outside of myself to be accepted, to find value, to find beauty, to find worth. And what I do is, instead of starting at Genesis 3, I start in Genesis 2, Genesis 1, 
of what God says is that it's tov, that you are good, that you are beautiful. What if in the same way that we looked at babies, we could look in the mirror and see ourselves and say that you are beautiful, and there is hope, and there is life, and there's this adventure with God playing out in real time that we go experience good and beautiful things. So when you think about reimagining yourself and what, you, what kind of life you really want, if you start at a place of that you're this wretched sinner, then what's going to be motivating you, right, is I better do enough. You're going to be constant tension. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Which is not, this works for a lot of people. It just doesn't work for me. I don't want to be driven by shame. I don't want to be driven uh, that there's going to be, I do believe in when Paul says that for the um, wages of sin is death, right? When you miss the mark, it, you're not going to get the kind of life that you've always wanted. But it should motivate us to evolve, to grow, to try new things, to be inspired in new things. So if you start out a place of love, of original goodness, then there's this God with me of what is um, uh, that prayer, Christ ahead of me, Christ beside me, Christ inside of me, Christ on my left, right? I believe that in all things, in every song, in my daughter, in the sunlight, in a casserole, in all things, in every atom, at the, the core of it is this divine love. And when we hold on to that, then when we dream of what we could be, it's driven, inspired by love. So we have to have an understanding of what you believe God to be and you in relation to. All right, second one. Uh, second one is, oh, this is, if you're like me, you don't like this. Um, uh, you have to take inventory of what you're giving your energy to. Does anyone else here like avoiding what, like, you're giving your energy or your money or your time to? Ignorance is bliss. Am I all, all alone in this? So everyone's like, I'm not raising my, thank you. All right. So um, for, for some reason, I usually start at a place of shame, right? I start at a place of shame, like, well, if, like, honestly, I, I happen to be a pastor, and I'm aware that if I called, uh, if I called you, Dave, right? I, I said, hey, you want to hang out? Most people, when they hear the pastor wants to hang out with them, they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Well, what do I do now, Chris, right? So I have to, like, I have to usually, like, start with, like, hey, I just want to grab a drink. I just want to get some coffee. There's no hidden agenda. And I know this because when pastors call me, I'm like, what did I do wrong? Here we go, right? <laughs> why, am I, why am I telling you this? Oh, so you have to evaluate, right, your energy. It's not always bad. What if you started out a place of just, like, okay, where's my money going to, right? You guys ever, like, use those apps that tells you you spent this much money on movies, and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> right? Um, maybe you have to evaluate how, what kind of emotional energy you're giving to your family. Are you giving to your friends? Are you giving to your job, right? Are you giving to your, um, your body or your workout? And there's some things that during a pandemic that we built habits, right? Some of them positive, maybe some of them not. Like the amount of people that um, realize they have a drinking problem in pandemic and of moving into a sober life is beautiful, right? It exposed something that was there. Now they have the resources and the time to go get help. But, like, maybe you watched five, six hours of Netflix every day, right? And for a pandemic, maybe that was really helpful, right? You guys are like, here goes the pastor again, shaming us about TV. No, maybe that was really good for you. And maybe it still is good for you. But you have to, like, how much energy am I giving to? Is that the kind of life that I've always wanted? I have a friend that worked out, like, five times a day during the pandemic because that, that really that worked for him. And I imagine it will still, still work from, right? So instead of like starting a place of shame, just get clear of what am I giving my time to and what do you want to do with that time? Third thing, right? So in relation with God, evaluating where you're at, and then what is it that you really want? See, I don't like the inventory. I like the dreaming. I'm just like, well, God, what could we be? What kind of life do I really want? And the dreaming part is important. And when you get clear, and it might be 
um, I want to get a new pair of shoes. It could be that goal. It could be I want to um, make more money in my career. It might be I want to learn how to cook. I have a friend that's like, I want to learn how to cook. Like, I just, I'm not good at cooking. I want to learn, right? It might be I want to have more intimacy. I want to have more pleasure in my life. It's a word that we need to normalize more, right? Pleasure can be so, so wide. Why, why wouldn't we want more pleasure in our life and getting clear what it looks like? But when you start dreaming, here's what I'm encouraging to do is get that energy out in the universe. I believe that our words shape realities, right? Example, um, maybe who here still has like, like that seventh grade volleyball coach or the ninth grade like uh, bas- basketball coach, right? That's still in your head and you're Anderson, right? It still gives you nightmares or maybe inspires you or maybe still haunts you. That word shaped the reality of how you viewed yourself. So once you get clear, get it out in the universe. Say it to your therapist. Say it to your friend. Like, say it to your, your doctor. Say it to your, your mentor. Get it out there. When I, I'm a dreamer, so my, like, our staff um, loves it when I have these dreams, right? And most of the time, I, I imagine they're just like, yeah, Chris is probably not going to do eight of those ten things. But I love getting it out there. When I talk with my buddy Nick, Nick Hansen, um, he's, like, my friend that's, like, the yes man. He's like, yeah, yeah, Chris, let's do this, let's do that. I talked to my friend, Wade. He's like, do you really want to spend the money on that? I'm like, uh, this is why I have two lots of friends that can help, right, shape reality. But if we just keep it in, that dream never gets to play itself out. So where you're at in your relation with God, um, take an inventory, get clear of what is it you really want, and this is the hardest one. This is the hardest one. And this is where 90% of the people stop. And that's do it be it. We are all really good at dreaming about what we want in our friendships or relationships or our body or our work or our spirituality or in our ability to care for the environment or show up to, to, for, um, to bring equity, right, in our communities to understand about our whiteness and privilege. Like, we love the idea of, like, reading how to be an anti-racist. We're like, yeah, that's me. And then, but then actually showing up work and then doing something about when someone makes that racist comment. They're like, Ugh, right? We pause and we hold back. Why? To evolve and to grow costs you something, no matter what it is. When you dream about what kind of life you want, how to want to get energy, every single time it costs you something. What's one thing in your life that you've been, you found transformation or hope or life that didn't cost you anything? Right? There's absolutely nothing. But so many people get stuck in the weeds because if you speak up, like, I'll use me as an example. Um, I talk to a lot of people who are um, professionally work in some sort of spiritual circle. And I still have a lot of friends who are in some more um, evangelical traditional circles. And they'll call me and they'll say, hey, Chris, um, like we are an affirming church, right? We're an inclusive church. Um, and so they're like, hey, Chris, I'm a part of this, and I, I really want to bring change I'm like, okay, what are, you, what are you willing to do about it? What, what does it look like? How, how, where, where are you showing up to meet people? How are you including people? Who are you inviting? And they're like, yeah, yeah, ab- about that. I, I'm in a job. I'm in a movement, a denomination where I, I can't do that. But I'm, I'm still going to be a silent ally. I'm like, go for it, man. Like, be the best you. And the reason why I stayed silent for a while is because I knew what it would cost me. I knew what it cost my family. I knew what it cost me. I knew what it cost our church. Like, we are, are coming up in August is our two-year, um, I don't want to say anniversary, 
two years from when we transitioned into neighborhood church, right? And it did cost us. It cost us tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars. It cost us some of our best friends. It cost us mentors. It cost us people in our church, right? And would I do it all over again? A hundred times. I'll go a hundred. Knowing what it cost me emotionally, what it cost my family, what it cost, like I said, all those things, I'd do it all over again. Because liberation and freedom, that's what the gospel's for. Love trumps a theological point. Love trumps a, a political decision. Love trumps who's right or wrong. When you love, there's never a downside to love. How do I want to give our energy as a church? Is to love, always, to include. It will cost you something to move towards what you, it is that you really want. And that is the hardest, that is by far the hardest piece. So what I encourage you to do, right, is dream. And I, I don't, I'm a dreamer, so I'm not going to say everyone's like this, but I'm, I'm always thinking about how can I be the best me possible? I don't want an average life. Like I joke about, we call it like, oh, it's average at best. It's good enough. I, I don't, I really don't want that. I want to live a full life. We, we talk often about how we want to have a good and beautiful life. It is something I am hungry for. When I meet people and I ask them and they are bitter, and they are, yeah, when they're bitter, I, I always wonder, like, how did you get there? Because no one, no one, like, at the altar, right, when you're getting married, I say this when I do wedding messages, I'm like, no one says, hey, I hope in five years we tolerate each other, right? And I hope in ten years we resent each other, and I hope we say, we're only going to stay there for the kids, right? Or uh, a divorce is too expensive, right? I have these conversations with people. I, I, no one ever wakes up when they're like 20 and says, man, when I'm in my 60s, I hope I complain all the time about how fast people drive down the street. And that's all I talk about, right? I, 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 oh, my wife complains about people driving too fast. <laughs> Not me. No, I'm, I'm living my best life. Hello. Um, I, I, I want to continue to evolve and to grow. So that's my invitation. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to um, do communion together. So I forgot to ask people to hand out. Would, Mike, you want to hand out some communion, the baskets or whatever they're called? Um, and if you don't feel requirement, you don't have to take communion if you don't want to. On the communion. This is very, very good communion, by the way. It is excellent. It's really, really good. But um, Nikki is going to read this poem again. Um, and then we're going to have a, a moment of silence. And when you are ready to take the communion, you can do it. And we're not going to, like, guide you through everything. It's just going to be this time. And what I would like you to think about, what I'd like to, in, to engage your mind and your heart, is what is it that you want? And there's something about communion. The reason we do communion is there's all, but it's also a way of trusting that everything we need is found in the Christ. Uh, what it comes to bring nourishment to your body. As you move forward, as you pursue that dream, there is this Christ. There is this energy. There is this presence. There is this kingdom of God that is alive and well and can sustain us. So there's two wrappers. There's a wrapper for the top to get at the cracker, and then there's one for the juice. All right. So this is uh, Mother Teresa's do it anyway. So I'm just going to encourage you, even before air in through your nostrils, and then breathe out.
I invite you to do that. Well, people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. So if you want, you can go ahead and take communion. We'll just take a moment uh, for silence, and then I'll just close us with a prayer. God, we take these things in, we take the cracker, we take the juice, and we recognize that uh, you've created good and beautiful things to nourish our bodies, to bring life, for us to have sustained energy. And we say thank you. We see your generosity. Ground to remember where our feet are planted. And would your life speak through our voices? Would it stay in our hearts? In your name, amen. Thank you for so much for coming to Neighborhood Church. You're welcome to hang out, have another cup of coffee, hang out outside, um, and make a new friend. Thanks for coming this Sunday. <laughs>